0: First Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 14, and you will notice as we read this, there are many instructions for believers. We exhort you, brethren, for each one of us. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are ruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good abstain from all appearance of evil and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it brethren pray for us greet all the brethren with a holy kiss I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Quench not the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians five nineteen. These four words, quench not the Spirit, constitute uh, both the title and the text that, that I've chosen for the sermon this morning. Quench not the spirit. As we think about that, about the title, about the text, I think that there is really two points there and each of the two points maybe we'll have two sub points. Quench not the spirit. Let's think first, the first point about the, la- the latter two words in First Thessalonians 5.19, the Spirit. What is the Spirit? And as we think about the Spirit part of the sermon, the Spirit, let's first think about who He is or what He is. What about the Spirit? We are limited in our vocabulary and our words about um, describe the Holy Spirit. But it's to me that the Bible gives a lot of and word pictures about the Spirit. Let's look at those just for a couple minutes. Um, Way back in the Old Testament maybe it surprises us, maybe it surprises you that back in the Old Testament God speaks of the Holy Spirit and he is quite prominently shown at times. Often he's called in the Old Testament the spirit of the Lord. Or God calls him My spirit. All of those terms speak about his deity. In Job 33 4 there's a name of the Holy Spirit that intrigues me where God calls him the breath of the almighty. And then of course the Holy... The Holy Spirit is often used, the spirit of judgment, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding. And we can go on and on about names of the Holy Spirit that describe part of his workings in the Old Testament. Another one that I like is in Isaiah 4.4, where the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of burning. The spirit of burning. So... If he's the spirit of burning, obviously there's a fire involved. Keep that thought in your mind if you can. Uh, moving to the New Testament, what is the Holy Spirit? How is he described? What is he called there? H.L. Wilmington says that there's a list of 13 names in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Grace, and and. The, and, and we won't mention all 13 but the one especially that we'd like to look at just for a minute and think about is that he's called the comforter do you remember where that's given in John 14, 15, and 16 the setting there is in the upper room when Jesus was there with his disciples just before his suffering and death and resurrection Jesus four times there calls the Holy Spirit the comforter And we understand that the Greek word used there is parakletos. Maybe I'm even pronouncing that right. Parakletos. Para, the prefix, means beside. And the second part, the kelea part, means to call. One called alongside to help. So the parakletos, the comforter, is a picture of how the Holy Spirit comes alongside to comfort and help us in daily life. And Christian living, the paracletus, the comforter, one who is with us and besides how we need that and thank God for that. I think it's interesting that in 1 John 2, 1, Jesus is called an advocate. He is our advocate. And that is exactly the same word as the same Greek word that is used and is translated comfort of John. Jesus is our advocate, he is our paracletus, he is one who walks alongside to help, he is in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is down on earth, so we have an advocate, and we have a paraclete, a comforter, all of those, those two words mean the same thing. Synonyms for that, for advocate, is words like proponent, and defender, and pleader, well we've th- looked a little bit at the Bible words for the Holy Spirit, names of the Holy Spirit, both Old Testament and New Testament. as we think about who he is and what he is let's now look at Bible pictures of the Holy Spirit in the Bible he is in he is a spirit of power, and the, that picture uh, there's various pictures in the Bible about how that the Holy Spirit, who walks beside us and is our paraclete, powerful being. In John 3, 8, he is likened to wind. Remember that verse? The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou seest the sa- hearest the sound thereof, but cannot, cannot see whither it goeth, or, or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, a picture of power, a picture of the wind the Holy Spirit is like wind. In Isaiah forty four three, the picture is given, the analogy of how that the Holy Spirit is like water, and in Matthew three, eleven, that was John the Baptist speaking there, and he talks about how the Holy Spirit and with fire. Oh, there's that picture of fire again. Fire. So the power of the Spirit is shown by the wind and the water and fire and we understand how each of those three natural things are powerful as we think of the presence of the spirit that is pictured in the bible as a dove or as oil or ephesians 1:13 the seal and then there's people that prefigure the whole holy spirit in the old testament so we're thinking about power and the presence of the spirit and the people prefiguring the spirit And I think especially of two people in the book of Genesis. Remember the steward. Remember who had a steward? That was Joseph. And remember Abraham's servant. Both of those are types of the Old Testament in how that they serve their master and are under him. Just as the Holy Spirit serves to magnify and show... And make attractive the uh, the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't. Is not in the forefront. He is. But he is showing and serving the master. All right. So in the first section. The first point. We're thinking about the spirit. We talked about who and what he is. As we looked at Bible names for the spirit. And looked about some pictures of the Holy Spirit. That the Bible provides for us. Let's now go on and think about what he does. So we have a little bit of an understanding about what the spirit is, who he is, what does he do? For that we look in the New Testament for a number at a number of places. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he baptizes us. Do you remember that verse in First Corinthians 12.13 For by one spirit are we all baptized in one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles and have been all made to drink of one spirit. Now it's not super clear in the King James Version as it is in a number of modern versions that that is past tense. For by one spirit have we all been baptized is the meaning there past tense. We have all been baptized. What does it mean to be baptized? Uh, We often think of baptism uh, as water. Or when we think of baptism we think of water. Well, baptism is one type. I'm sorry. Water is one type of baptism. But the real sense of baptism is identification with. Identification with. When we are baptized by water, we are identifying with Christ and the church. When we are, when God baptizes us with his Holy Spirit, we are identified with Christ. So that happens at the time of our being born again. We didn't realize it. We didn't notice it. We didn't think about it. But when we chose Christ, he baptized us and identifies with us. We identify with him. He identifies with us. All part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit baptizes his people at the moment of of salvation, at the moment of being born again. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does for God for his people, for God's people is found in Ephesians 5.18, and this is a command. Notice that 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is not a command, it just it's states that that 's what happened we were baptized when we were born again for by, by one spirit have we all been baptized ephesians 5 eighteen says, Be filled with the spirit that means you that means me. we are god 's people. Christians are to be filled with the spirit. What do you think that means To be filled with the Spirit. We notice in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, any number of times uh, that it will say, and Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit or being full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? I think that a major secret, if not the major secret to being filled with the Spirit is this. And we only need to turn to Acts 5.32 to learn that secret. This was just days after Pentecost, or maybe weeks. And Peter said at the end of a great sermon that he gives, Acts 5.32, And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. That's the secret. The secret of being filled with the spirit is to be obedient to God, obedient to Christ, obedient to the word. Filling. We are to be filled with the spirit. Thank God that he fills us with his spirit when we respond in obedience to him. We think of about being filled as being filled to the, don't we? Something is full when it's like water in a thermos it's not the thermos isn't full until the level of the water is up to the brim and maybe almost spilling over or uh, gas in a tank filled to the brim that's what I often think of maybe some of the rest of us maybe that's how you think about being filled and that's good, that's fine The Greek verb used there implies something just a little bit different than being filled to the brim. And I understand that where it says, be filled with the Spirit, where it commands, be filled with the Spirit, in Ephesians 5.18, that it has the idea of pressure. Pressure. Like sails on a ship. You know, when the wind fills those sails then there's pressure there and then there's movement and there's thrust and that's the one of the ideas that the greek verb be filled with the spirit indicates there in Ephesians 5:18 pressure uh, somebody has said in the spiritual realm this concept Depicts the Holy Spirit providing the thrust to move the believer down the hallway to obedience. Being filled with the Spirit. Something else that the Greek verb, that word indicates, or it was often used back in that day, was what we could call permeation. So we talked about thrust and pressure in sails. When the wind which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, provides the sails with pressure so that the boat can move. Another one is permeation, like, like yeast, you know, a little leaven 11th of the, the lump. It doesn't take hardly much at all, but that it permeates and moves through the whole lump of batter. Permeation. Is the Holy Spirit permeated through you is the holy spirit permeated through my entire being in, both inside and outside permeate pressure permeation and then it's predomination total control that something like that is uh, mentioned in luke 6:11 where they the people were mad at jesus we're not going to look at that except to say that to notice that it says that his enemies were filled with madness. They were filled with madness. They were, uh, what, the anger and the madness just took over. Pressure, permeation, predomination. That's the idea. That is conveyed when Jesus, when the Bible commands, be filled with the Spirit. So, what does the Spirit do for us? Well, he baptizes us and he fills us. Thank God for both of those. Something else that the Holy Spirit does for us, we notice in Romans 8, verses 9 and 11, both verses there, 9 and 11, talks about dwelling. How that the, if the Holy Spirit dwell in you, Dwelling. We could call that indwelling. So, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, he fills us, and he indwells us. What does it mean to dwell? For the Holy Spirit to dwell in us? Well, that word dwell, we think of it as living, right? I dwell at 3108 Old Philadelphia Pike. I live there. That's how we use the word dwell, the original meaning has just a little different connotation than that. To dwell means to be at home in. To be at home in. So, does Christ, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Is my heart fit place that the Holy Spirit isn't only in there, not only living there, but he's enjoying it there. He's, he's at home there. Indwelling. So, as we think of those three major ministries of the Holy Spirit. Baptism, filling, and indwelling. Do you notice that there's one baptism. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit once. And there are many fillings. And the Holy Spirit perpetually indwells in believers. In you and I. You and me. One baptism Many fillings, perpetual indwelling. So that's three of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Three things that the Holy Spirit does for us. Each of those are wonderful ministries. Thank God for that. There's more. We could look at the end of Romans 8 and notice that there are various where the Holy Spirit prays for us. We could look at various scriptures in the New Testament that talk about how that he... Endows us with gifts. All of that and much, much more. Quench not the spirit. So we've talked now about the spirit part. The third and fourth words in the text. Let's think now about first and second words. Quench not. And I ask the question. And hopefully maybe you're answering, asking that in your own mind. What does it mean? How does one quench the spirit? So... In this second point, we'll talk about how to quench the Spirit first and then how not to quench the Spirit second. Quench not the Spirit. I think that Paul is obviously thinking of the Holy Spirit as a fire when he says quench not the Spirit. Like Isaiah and like John the Baptist, that's a quench. That word is often used for fire, to put out a fire. Fire reminds us, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind you of purifying? A fire purifies. A fire has good power and it provides light and warmth. And the Holy Spirit here says, the Holy Word says, don't quench the fire that's within you. When we're baptized, And when we're filled and when we're indwelt, we could say that there's a fire within us. Do you remember how that those two people from Emmaus, uh, they were walking along and sad, very sad, until that person joined them and and talked and talked about all kinds of things, how that the Bible, how the Old Testament fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah, how that the Messiah, Prophecies of the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus and then they discovered that they were speaking with and relating with Jesus and then what did they say? Oh, didn't our heart burn within us? There's I think that you've experienced that, as have I. There are times when our heart just burns within us. The Holy Spirit is a fire. And we are commanded, it's so important that we don't quench that fire. Quench not the spirit. How do we quench the spirit? I suggest that there's two ways to quench the spirit in our hearts and lives. Fire. The fire, the Holy Spirit is like a fire. Quench not the spirit. As I think about two ways to quench fire, or as I think about fire and and how to quench it, I think of my sons. I have three sons, and all three of them were, were at one point, chiefs. One was a fire chief, and two were chiefs at Bald Eagle. And both of those had to do a lot with fire. The one, of course, was to extinguish the fire. And two of them, the chiefs at Bald Eagle, often would light a fire every night, and they'd have their powwow and their meeting there fire. We're talking now about not quenching the fire. How do we how does one quench the spirit? How does one quench the fire within him that God brings? Well, one of the obvious ways is with the dirt of sin. You know how that one can quench a campfire by throwing a dirt on it so that it becomes extinguished and goes out. Well, in our spiritual life, sin is like that. Sin extinguishes the fire that should be burning in our heart, the, having the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit at, on fire within. Sin, the dirt of sin extinguishes. And quenches fire. Of course it does. Of course it does. We understand that. We understand that God hates sin, that sin is a terrible thing in God's eyes and in God's nose. It's a stench in his nostrils. God hates sin. Sin is a terrible thing. Sin will quench the Holy Spirit within. And maybe we should just take a little bit of time to think about or to see what God says about sin turn with me if you will to Leviticus 26 and I'm going to take the time to just read a number of verses here breaking in at verse 14 Leviticus 26 14 And we're just especially trying to make the point of how serious a thing sin is and how it extinguishes and quenches the life and the fire of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. This of course is being spoken to the nation of Israel with lots of applications for God's people today. And if you want hearken, I'm at... Leviticus 26, 14. I don't think I'll say too much more about this, except just to read this as you follow along. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague, That shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you. And ye shall be slain before your enemies, that they hate you... They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if ye walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, your highways shall be desolate. And if ye will not... Be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me. Then will I also walk contrary unto you. And I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you. And ye shall be delivered into the hand of your enemies. Verse 26. And if you will not walk, and if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Sin is a serious thing before God. And we need to, we as God's people, need to take sin seriously. One of the reasons for that is that it quenches the fire and the light of God in our hearts and lives. Well, that was the Old Testament. But how about the New Testament? Well, in Hebrews 10, just reading two verses there, Hebrews 10, 28 and 29... He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Sin. The amplified says there in Hebrews 10:28 has done despite the amplified says insulting and outraging God is insulted and outraged at sin There's two kinds of sin did you know 2 Corinthians 7:1 talks about the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit and we understand the difference I think don't we Except I would just like to say for myself and maybe for you that we sometimes as Christians might pride ourselves somewhat in that we are not caught in sins of the flesh like immorality and all, you know, terrible anger and lying and dishonesty and those kind of things. But maybe the filthiness of the spirit. See, why would one commit Immorality. He would do that because of lust in his heart. And that's the sin of the spirit. There is a sin of the flesh. But it began in the heart. Lust leads to immorality. See why would someone. Lie and be dishonest. Well different reasons. But probably because he is selfish. And that is a sin of the spirit. It starts inward. And goes outward. Why would someone get all mad and out of shape? Probably because he's bitter inside, don't you think? There's the filthiness of the flesh and there's filthiness of the spirit. Both of them are sins before God. And oh, that the Lord would just show us, show me and show you how serious that is. And on the other hand, how wonderful it is that God delivers us from these things. As long as we're in in this body, we'll be tempted to sin. We'll often fail. But God gives grace. Thank God for his advocate in heaven who pleads our case at times like this. So quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. As I think of those two kinds of sins I'd just like to say yet that it may I'm reminded of the two prodigal sons you know about the two right you know about the one right he w- was filthy in his flesh and he did all kinds of bad things obviously the text there in Luke 15 doesn't go into detail at all much at all but that prodigal son wasted his substance on riotous living and he was rightly called the prodigal because that's what a prodigal is he is a, a prodigal is one who wastes and squanders the blessings that he's blessed with but the older son was just as prodigal if not more so because he wasted a lot of blessings too by his bitterness and you can see there that he's bitter and angry and envious all of them in, in one package sins of the spirit oh that God would deliver us help us to see how serious either of those sins are the fleshly ones and the spirit ones thank God for deliverance in Christ there's another way that we can quench the spirit that we should just think about a little bit. We can quench the spirit by sinning. But we can also quench the spirit by neglecting to feed the fire that is within us. When we get too tired, when we are too lazy, when we're too distracted by the cares of this world. Or we can say. Uh, we can make an excuse that we're too old. That's signs that we have. As Revelation 2.5 would say. That they are signs that we have left. Our first love. That's also a possibility for Christians. To just neglect. Not outwardly and blatantly sin but just neglect the fire that's burning and you firemen know that there are different ways to put out fires you can use water or calves or you can pull all the wood away Where no wood is, the fire goeth out, just like the Bible says. When we let our fire burn down in our heart, so much so that there's hardly anything left, no fire left, that also quenches the Spirit. Ray Pritchard has said on this subject, and I quote him, How would you put out the Spirit's fire in your life or in someone else's life? Disobedience would do it. Harboring sin would do it. Criticizing someone else's love for the Lord would do it. Harboring bitterness in your heart would do it. But the preeminent way to put out the Spirit's fire is by saying no to the Lord. There is a sense of course, in which every sin and every wrong attitude is a way of saying no to God. But I'm thinking especially of personal obedience to the will of God. When we resist God's call, we put out the Holy Spirit's fire. This might apply to something huge, such as answering God's call to be a missionary or answering God's call to a new job or to make move to a different city or into a different neighborhood, but it applies just as much to answering God's call to reconcile with a friend. It's not exactly right to say that unconfessed sin quenches the Holy Spirit, though it does. The real quenching comes with the the repeated refusal to do anything about it, end of quote. Quench not the spirit. Let's turn quickly and think now about how not to quench the spirit, but how to fan the spirit's flame in our life. Well, you might know about the list that we might go down through because this is all familiar, but one way to fan the flame in our heart is to love god 's word. How about Joshua one eight This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate oh can't get that together right now you look up Joshua 1:8 maybe you can memorize. maybe you can quote it better than i can right now Joshua 1:8 to memo- to meditate to memorize to obey god's word to love god's word that will fan the flame and your the fire of the holy spirit within your heart will not go out it will become greater secondly it, along with bible Loving God's word is simply that of prayer. Prayer. Praying. Someone has said that the secret of all failure is prayerlessness. And maybe the same person said prayerlessness is a disaster. I think it was Mr. Thompson that talks about Jacob. You know, he talked with God and communed with God and made a promise with God there at Bethel, where God appeared to him that night when he was lying there with his head on a stone for a pillow. And God, he also talked with God 20 years later when he was back at Bethel and when he wrestled with the angel. And then he spoke to God and said and prayed. And he said, bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. There was 20 years difference between the first Bethel and the second time he was at Bethel. And in that 20 years, you can look in the book Genesis, he was a busy man. He was working and working and even conniving and making his own way and plowing his own path. He is a classic worker. He worked and worked and worked and he... it's amazing how God blessed his um, his herds and how he became rich just look at some it's pretty interesting how how the Bible highlights that in a chapter or a couple of how much he worked hard and he worked smart and God blessed him but in that whole 20 year period there's no indication the Bible doesn't say or mention that he prayed and so he was basically a failure even though he became, even though he was a great success and even at bethel someone has said jacob wrestling only failed jacob clinging soon prevailed and i just bring all of that to us here today to me and to you to say that prayer is the christian's vital breath as we've often heard it said prayer is the christians vital breath and there is not really any any substitute for prayer we can work we can work in god's work we can do yeah we can do lots and lots of things but we really aren't a success until we realize in prayer how much how small and weak we are and how we need God. Jacob's an excellent example of that. And I think especially maybe for us 21st century men. So how not to quench the, the fire within us? How not to quench the spirit? Well, be serious about loving God's word. Be serious about prayer. A third thing is that of confession. So You do some things wrong occasionally, right? So do I, more than occasionally. And it takes a real man or a real woman to just confess those faults. It takes a real man or woman to confess. It takes a meek person to confess. A proud person just can't hardly bring himself to do that. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man aileth much. And do you see how that prayer and confession are coupled there? I think there's something to that. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession. There's the Bible. There's prayer. There's confession. How about that of Worship. Well, that's what we're doing here together today, are we not? Worship, as a man thinketh in his heart. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As we think of that, here is a quote from Dan DeHaan. In order for Christ-like behavior to be a way of life, there must be a preoccupation with things above. This is not a dreamy kind of thing. It is the conscious worship of God's character that conforms us to what we worship. We always become what we worship. That is a law within even earthly Relationships. What you bow down before, you become an an armored with. Some people ponder and brood over their past victories or failures. They become past conscious. Their day begins with the past. As a result, they can never really be what they should be right now for this moment. Other people are preoccupied with position possessions or pleasure they actually worship these things whether they know it or not these are the things that control their thoughts throughout the day they are becoming what they worship Call, find me a worshiper of god and i will show you a stable mind with his mind and control ready to meet the present hour with refreshment from above worship true honest worship thank God for that possibility even in our busy 21st century another way that I suggest is to love God's appearing and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure what a wonderful way to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit within us is to love his appearing have you thought about today yet have you thought yet today that this could be the day Maybe some of you have even longed for that this would be the day to love his appearing. Even so come, Lord Jesus. How not to quench the Spirit? How to fan the flame of the Spirit? Love God's word. Spend time in prayer, more and more prayer. Confess your faults. Worship and love his appearing. You could add to that list, could you not? Quench not the spirit. As, as we close this sermon, I do so by, um, by turning to 2 Timothy 1.6. Where Paul is exhorting his young disciple, Timothy. Timothy. And he, and Paul says, "Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the by the putting on of my hands." And I'd like to read that in the Amplified version. Second Timothy one six. That is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of. And the flame of and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying laying on of my hands. Might that be the case with all of us that we by the spirit of God living within us that we stir up that gift of God. Do you notice that it categorically says that thou stir up. God has a big work to do, but our work to do is that we stir that up, that we fan the flames, that we stir up the gift of God which is in us, the Holy Spirit living within as a sacred living fire. Thank God for the fire of the Holy Spirit within God's people today. Quench not the Spirit. Will you kneel with me for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit of God, one of the parts of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God. Thank you that he is dwelling in heaven, sure, but also down here on earth as our paraclete, as someone who is called up alongside to help. Thank you that he's our comforter and our guide, and all of that and much more. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we today, that not one of us here, that not one of us within the sound of my voice, would be quenching the Spirit in his life, and dampening the the sacred fire that is within. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that though sin quenches the Spirit, it will do it every time, that you have arranged for sin. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth us from all sin. And I pray that we would confess our faults and confess our sins before you and before others. Thank you for the cleanness and that results when we are humble enough and strong enough to confess our faults and our sins, Heavenly Father. Thank you that there is victory in Jesus, that we can live above sin, even in these wicked days and in this wicked culture that we're a part of. And thank you that you're calling us to heaven, that place of no sin, where there will be no more quenching. And I pray, Lord, that even so come Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.